There we go. So, um, I forgot where I was. <laughs> piercing. It's very piercing. And it, it's always that, that way a little bit for the, for the teacher. You know, you spend that much time in preparation. The Lord really uses it to speak to you. So my prayer tonight is that God will use this to speak to you as he did to me this week. We are in Matthew um, chapter 6. And tonight we'll be focusing primarily on verses 5 through 8. Y'all covered uh, 1 through 4 last week. And um, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time tonight talking about prayer. Although we're going to see that that's, that's only part of what the lesson is about. So, to start, if you got your Bible, somebody's got it turned there. Bob? You there? All right. Read 5 through 8 for us. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, in that's, heaven. That's good, right there. Okay. Thank you. All right, so as you see, this lesson is, is about prayer. Jesus is, is teaching on prayer. But it really goes back to what he, a statement he made in verse 1. You guys remember last week, he said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed. So even though we're talking about prayer, we're still, we're still under this warning, this... this, um, this this warning that Jesus has given about be, be aware of, of practicing your righteousness before men in your prayer life. So what is prayer? We, we're going to talk about prayer. Let's talk about what it is. What is prayer? Talking to God. Communication, right? Talking to God, absolutely. Now, it's a little bit deeper than, than just communication. I mean, we're communicating now, but we wouldn't call that prayer, would we? Mm -hmm. You were right. It's communication with God, with a specific person, right? With God. It's, it's communion with God, which even goes a little bit deeper. The word communion means the sharing of intimate thoughts and feelings. Okay, the exchange of intimacy. So prayer, then, we would say is fellowship with God. And in this lesson, Jesus is going to talk about how devastating the, the temptation or sin is in our prayer lives. And I think it's important as we, as we think about this lesson to kind of understand the audience that Jesus was talking to. So he would have been talking to a group of, of Jews, right? And no nation probably had a higher ideal, a higher standard, a higher thought about prayer than the, than the Jews did. I mean, they made it a very high priority in their life. They, they had this great standard and, 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 and a great love for, for prayer. And some have said that, that many Jews probably regretted that they couldn't pray all day long. Okay? But certain faults had crept into the Jewish prayer life. Does that sound different than ours? Not really, does it? No. So what had happened was that the prayers had become formalized. Now, do we have that issue today? Are our prayers often formalized? Can you think of examples of how we formalize our prayers? Sure. Thanks, thanks for uh, dinner. Absolutely. Yeah. 
we're, we're, we're tempted to sit down. My, my grandfather had a standard, Lord, we thank you for these and all our many blessings. Now, is there anything wrong with that prayer? No. Absolutely not, right? If that's the genuine attitude of, of the, the person who's praying's heart, they're communicating with God in a proper attitude and in a right way, thank you, Lord, for these blessings, these and all our many blessings. It's certainly. In the Methodist Church, they have a book. Right, prayer. a book of prayers. <laughs> the tendency is that that can become rough, right? And, yeah. and just, you, you, we flippantly say it. Lord, we thank you for these and all our many blessings. Um, you know, we conclude our prayers sometimes with a little bit of a pattern, right? Yep. You know, we pray, and what do we say at the very end? Jesus name. In Jesus' name. we we got to put that exclamation on there to make it official. Uh, it, it just kind of becomes ritualistic. Um you know, when some, sometimes when our kids are growing up and we're, we're putting them to bed, we, we might teach them a little quick little prayer right before bedtime. And that can, there's not, absolutely nothing wrong with it, but it can become just a, a rote uh, thing that we do. And even the Lord's Prayer, you know, um, in verses 9 through 13, and that'll be next week's lesson, um, you know, Jesus, that prayer has been so often repeated, it can become meaningless. Um, I don't know football team when I was a little league football you know everybody took a knee and we said the Lord's Prayer together absolutely nothing wrong with the Lord's Prayer but I'm not sure it meant very much to us as we were getting ready to play a football game and so the Jews had had two daily responsibilities the first Jerry you might help me with some of the pronunciations Shema okay the Shema which is taken from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 11. And Numbers 15. And there are specific verses in those. That they were re required to say twice a daily once in the morning and once in the evening. And so what do you think was likely to happen as they were saying these, these verses? Became road, became just habitual, right? Became um, very ritualistic. Um, I know last year as we were doing the uh, McShane Bible reading, there were days when I absolutely loved to be in, in God's Word. It was, it was important and powerful and meaningful to me. But I have to admit, there were days when I was just squeezing it in. You know, life kind of squeezes in, in on the edges, and, and so I, I treated my Bible reading as something I had to do, something I had to get in, much like the Jews might have done the Shema, something they had to say. The second thing... Shemini Ezra? Okay. <laughs> Shemini Ezra. Which means 18. There are 18 passages of scripture that the Jews would memorize and say. I actually looked at some of those. They're beautiful, beautiful prayers. Um, they're really quite lovely. 
And they had to recite these three times a day, once in the morning, once in the midday, and once in the evening. So again, we see this potential for just this rote repetition, um, praying out of a garbled formula, something that they had to do. And truthfully, if we're honest, we, we're tempted to do this, the same kinds of things. And the problem is not in the system. The problem is in the people who are using it, right? That's right. So Jesus gives us in this passage, verses 5 through 8, a second example. Last week he talked about uh, when you give to the poor and when, when you're charitable, how you are tempted to have sin crouch in as you're doing that. Um, he gives us a se second example to support this um, warning about practicing our righteous, righteousness where it can be seen by men. And so he's trying to show us the devastating effects. Now the danger is that we... We look on this passage and we say, well, this doesn't really apply to me. This applies to the Pharisees. Or this um, applies to someone who's just obviously hypocritical. Um, it speaks to outright sin. But sin can be very subtle. And, and so there's danger in us thinking that this doesn't apply to us. It, it's, it certainly does. And that's because of the essence of sin. You know, we, we sometimes have the wrong attitude about sin. We think sin is... Um, taking something that doesn't belong to us. Now that's sinful, but, but the theft itself is, is not sin. That's a symptom of sin. The, the real disease is on the inside, right? It's, it's, it's a matter of the heart. Uh, the, the thing that we do is just evidence that it's there. Much like uh, someone who had the flu. You know, they've got the sniffles and runny eyes and achy joints and uh, a fever. Those, those things are not the flu themselves. They're the, they're the symptom of the flu, much like um, the things that we do. Are. So, so we, ha we must remember that sin is, 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 in essence, a matter of the heart. And so we can be tricked at times into thinking when we're doing something that we, we view as really, really holy, something that's really, really righteous, we can actually be doing it for the wrong reasons if we're not careful. And there are a couple of examples that I thought of. You remember in Leviticus 10, we read the story of Nadab and Abihu. They were Aaron's sons. You remember what happened in Leviticus 10? They offered fire. Strange fire, the scripture says. They offered strange fire. Now, the scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about what was going on there. Obviously, they were doing something in a manner that God had not prescribed. It was not pleasing to God. But we don't, what, we, what we really don't know is what their intention was. They may have thought that they were really worshiping God. They were doing it wrong, but they may have been trying. And that's the danger we run into sometimes. We can, we can do something with, with right intention, but really miss the mark. Uh, there's a similar story in Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they, they went and sold some property. Now, they had every right to sell that property. They had every right to keep the property. They had every right to sell it. They had every right to sell it and keep the proceeds from it. But what did they do? They said they, 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 they gave half of the money and kept half of themselves, but they, they verbalized that they were giving it all, weren't they? Okay, so it's, it's possible that they were doing the right thing with, with the wrong, wrong motivation. Our book tonight said that when man is engaged in his highest form of activity, worship or prayer, he has to, even then, wage a war against sin. And again, I think our, our temptation sometimes is to think of sin in really 
graphic forms. You know, we, we obviously recognize uh, drunkenness and prostitution and murder and, and those kind of things. Those, we don't have a problem assigning sin, the, the, the name sin, to those kind of things. But when it's the little matters of our heart, we have a, a much harder time recognizing it. Think about the great saint who's on his knees in prayer. We don't often think that that person is fighting a battle against sin, but he really is. And Jesus is warning us in this passage that we have to be on, on guard against that. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes a great point in the, in, the, um, in the text. And I don't know, how, do you, are you guys, many of you have that book or reading through it? He made a great point, I thought, in the text when he said, this concept points to the absolute necessity for being born again. I thought that was interesting. How does, he, how does he explain that? Well, if sin can creep in on our lives when we are at our most holy, when we're, we're trying to be our most righteous, and sin is right there with us, even as we draw into the presence of God, imagine one step further when we're in eternity. Sin can't be there. We have to be born again. We have to be regenerated. We have to be made new to go into God's presence. So this lesson is for Christian believers. It's a warning for us to be, to be careful. And Jesus is going to say, he's going to tell us two things. There's a true way to pray and a false way to pray. And we're going to look at the false way first. And the two ways that he's going to, to talk about are the visibility and the language that we use. Okay? Go back. Who else has got it? Bill, you got the scripture open there? Read verse 5 again for us. Verse 5? Yes. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. Okay. So Jesus describes some, some people here, and he uses the word hypocrite. Hypocrite, how, how would you define hypocrite? perfect way to think about a hypocrite is, a, is a, like an actor, somebody who's, who's a play actor, someone who's on stage. They're pretending to be something that they're not. This is what Jesus is describing here. And these people that he's describing are praying, and they're, and they're, they're attempting to be very visible, right? They're standing on the, on the street corner, and they're in the synagogue. These are places where they would be well seen, okay? And think back to what we were talking about. There were these five times that the Jews had to pray. And many of them were likely abusing, they, they were timing, uh, they were arranging, making sure that at the times it was appointed to pray, they were standing in the streets, standing on the street corner, near the synagogue where they would be seen. And, and Jesus is saying this attitude, this, this direction is, is, is false. The second false way that Jesus describes is in verse 7. Would someone read that for us? Chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Okay. So Jesus is referring to someone who's praying, who's using grand language, just repeating the same words over and over again, just babbling, making noise rather than true prayer. And the attention, the, 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 the thing that's important about both of these, the visibility and, and praying to be heard is that it's what? Pointing to self, isn't it? It's trying to draw attention uh, to the person who's doing it. 
if you would, look, turn over to Luke 18. And we so get... Absolutely, they yes. Were like quietly. In yeah. fact, this passage we're fixing to go to, if you turn over to Luke 18, it's going to show you that exactly. Yeah. And I think this one, they're, they're in the synagogue. And um, Luke 18, starting with verse 9, it says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood as he was, praying to this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Some time ago, Jerry preached, um, and, and when we were going through the book of Luke, he preached this passage. And I don't know if you guys remember, a couple of years ago we did the Passion Play. And I was fortunate enough to dress up as a, as a Pharisee, and we had some really fancy robes and tassels and you know these hats. And, and, and as Jerry preached that Sunday, he asked, me to put on that outfit and come down to the front. And, and he had another person, I think it was Sam, I believe. Sam dressed up as, as the publican who was in tattered clothes. And, and the point that we made that day was that as this Pharisee prayed, he lifted his hand, he drew attention to himself. And he lifted his head up and, and he's probably looking around to make sure that his voice is heard, right? And how does it describe this other person who's praying? Verse 13. He was standing some distance away, wasn't he? He was over in the corner, not even lifting his head, talking to God. We get a great picture of what Jesus is describing back here in Matthew chapter 6. Sin is so subtle and so de deceptive. Let's read verse 6 again. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now Jesus instructs us there to go into an inner room, a closet, if you will. I found a, an old sermon from a Pastor Alexander White who, who preached in the 1830s in the 1800s, I guess I should say. And he describes this, this inner room that Jesus mentioned here in this way. He says, So does prayer perform its magnificent part when it is alone with God. The true closet of the true saint of God is not built of stone and lime. The secret place of God, as well as that of people, is not a thing of wood and iron and bolts and bars. To be able to give himself up wholly, body, soul, and spirit, to the Holy Spirit, the man after God's own heart in prayer always, as a matter of fact, builds for himself a little sanctuary, all his own, not, shut, not to shut God in, but to shut, but to shut all that is not God out. Okay? So Jesus is describing this, this inner room that we should go into. 
Now, is he talking about a literal inner room, a literal closet? Could be. There's nothing wrong with going to a, to a quiet place. In fact, we see the pattern that Jesus followed many times. He would leave the disciples and he would go off by himself, find a quiet place and pray, right? It's certainly appropriate to do that. But I think the larger picture that's being made is we need to isolate ourselves from all the distractions, from the things that are going on. You know, I can try to pray while I'm sitting in my recliner watching television, but it's not going to be as effective as if I get off in a, in a quiet corner somewhere and, and pray with, without that distraction, is it? I guess even if you're driving to go to work, you can do more actual prayer in a traffic going all around. Right. Yeah. And, and it works the other way as well, right? We could literally be in a closet in the inner room of our house and not be alone with God. Is that right? Is that true? If our thoughts are distracted, if we could even, we could even take being alone and, and off in an, in an inner room and make that so important that it, we try to make that visible to people. Hey, I'm going to my inner room to pray. Right? We can draw attention to ourselves in that. We have to be so careful with sin. Does this mean that Jesus is saying we can't pray corporately? I mean, Jerry prayed a moment ago for this whole group. Were we wrong to do that? Nope. Absolutely not. There are many examples. Scripture. I, I listed a few. Solomon prayed for all of Israel when the temple was dedicated in 1 Kings 8. Elijah prayed in his confrontation with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. After Pentecost... The early church devoted themselves to prayer, and we read about that in Acts 2. Paul repeatedly asked the churches that he sent letters to to pray for him, the churches to, together to pray for him. And then in the, in the prayer that we're going to read next week, verses 9 through 12, if you look at verse 11, 12, and 13, Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us and do not lead us. So he's, he's giving us a pattern of praying together. So he's certainly not... Um, he's certainly not ruling out corporate prayer. But he is saying that prayer is a matter of the heart. And so the controlling principle needs to be that the whole being of the person praying should be intent upon and focused on God alone. The person praying should be centered on God and should be oblivious to all other things and surroundings. See, we need to remember that prayer is a talk, it's a conversation, it's communion, sharing intimate thoughts with God. <coughs> and so we have to work really hard to keep uh, the proper perspective and not let, let, let sin creep in. Now the next problem that, that Jesus deals with is the form of our prayers. And by that we mean the amount of prayer and the length. And so Jesus addresses mechanically how, sh how we should pray. Should we set a time for prayer? Is it appropriate to say, here's my prayer time? Is that a good thing? It helps us. Okay. Again, we're, we're dealing with something that there's nothing inherently wrong with it. can certainly be appropriate if it's a help. But again, we can get too focused on the time. If I'm, you know, if I'm doing some other activity... And then I look at the clock and I say, it's my prayer time. I've got to do, you know, I've got to prayer to pray. Then I've sort of missed the point again, haven't I? 
Should our prayers have a certain length? Absolutely not, right? I can tell you there have been many times when I've prayed, thank you, Lord. Help me, Lord. Those are prayers when they're uttered with the right and proper attitude. So there's nothing magical or, or required about the length of our prayer. Really and truly, we should forget the clock altogether. Yes? Do you hear, do you hear a response in your prayer? I mean, not hear it as in hear it, but do you know that there's a response? Well, I would say, yes. Yeah, so, certainly, sometimes uh, God speaks to us more clearly than others. So some, sometimes I would, I would say that. I would agree with you. We don't necessarily hear an audible voice. But our prayer, as we talked about, is communication. So it's one of the ways that God communicates to us. He speaks to our spirit. He uses his spirit that dwells within us as we pray, as we communicate with him, to, to, to definitely communicate with us, not, not necessarily in an audible voice, but in scripture is the other way that he does that. I have one other. Do you ever hear, do you ever definitely not hear an answer? In other words, do you pray something? You pray something, and there is definitely a, there's definitely some quiet, I don't know how to describe it any other way. Yep. Uh, it is definitely quiet, like the answer is no. Charles can tell you, it's last Sunday in our Sunday school class, and I can't even really remember why we were talking, but we were talking about prayer and, and, and how God answers, and we said God's answers are, Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So we, we have a, an understanding or, or yeah. know that he's speaking to us. And sometimes there's not an answer which we can only take to mean wait. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we can, and, and we'll talk about this later, we can trust that God always hears if we're praying in the right attitude yeah. and the proper. He yeah, always hears. But his answer might be wait mm -hmm. for some period of time. But we should try to forget the clock altogether. As I was thinking about when I went off to college for the first time, I went to, to Georgia Tech. Now, you got to remember, I grew up in Podunk. I grew up in Mayberry, even though it was Georgia. I grew up in a Mayberry kind of a place. And I moved to downtown Atlanta, Georgia Tech. And I was as homesick as any person has ever been that went off to college. I was miserable. Now, I had dated a girl in high school when, when I was a junior and a senior. And here I go, move, and, I, and I missed her so terribly. And so the highlight of my day, it seems like, was to, to get back to the dorm that night. And we didn't have a phone in our rooms. We had one on the hallway. It was down the hall, and it was a pay phone. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking down the hallway with these coins jingling in my pocket, you know, to go call this girl. And I can tell you, you know, we're talking about time, right? The, uh, the coins that I put in there bought a certain amount of time. The time always ran out before I was ready. I wasn't keeping up with it. It just seemed to happen. And if you guys remember the old payphone, it, it just cut off. I guess they would give you a warning that you could put more coins in there. And, of course, I was usually out at that point. But that's how our prayer time with God should be. We should be so focused on talking to God and hearing from God that we lose sight of time altogether. So what are the consequences of praying falsely? Look back at verse 5. Okay. And what did those who were praying falsely, those hypocrites, what did they want? What were they desiring? To be seen. Be seen. They wanted recognition, right? They wanted praise. They wanted to be well spoken of. And Jesus says what? What do they get? They want to be seen. What do they get? As their reward. 
They get it, right? That's what they want. That's what they get. They get their reward. Okay? That verse to me, when, when Jesus said that they have their reward in full, I believe that's all they get. God doesn't hear that prayer. Mm -hmm. They've, they were after something else, and God gave it to them. They got what they were after. The true way of prayer is, is in secret. He uses the word secret there in verse 6. But when you pray, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here's another reward. We had a reward in verse 5 and a reward in verse 6. We're talking about two different kinds of rewards. The one reward is the recognition of men, the praise of men. What's the other reward there in verse 6? Is it the same reward, verse 6? That reward is the communication with God, that communion, that intimate fellowship that we have with Him. When we pray appropriately, that's what we get. If we pray to be seen by men, that's what we get. If we pray to have com intimate communication, fellowship with God, then he rewards that, and that's what we get. Remember, the, the key to prayer is that we are approaching God. It's, a, it's an attitude or a mindset. So how do we do this? How do, how do we accomplish it? And I think there are at least three ways. Thank God heard that prayer. And we don't. He didn't even give the eyes of the other people. The other people gave him that. That's right. Absolutely. So now we're to the how. How do we how do we pray the right way? Okay. Exclude. What does Jesus tell us to do? How do how should we pray? He said we should pray in secret. Find a quiet place. Eliminate distractions. The idea is to shut out those distractions. So whether we play, pray publicly or privately, again, we should be working to eliminate those distractions. Eliminate other people, other influences. Even work to eliminate self. The fo Focusing on self is not appropriate there. We should pray in a manner as if God is the only person hearing. Now I can tell you, that can be difficult at times. You know, the elders have taken on a little bit more responsibility on our Sunday morning services, and we're having specific times of, of focused prayer. We, we pray a prayer of adoration and a prayer of confession and thanksgiving and supplication. Those are wonderful times to pray. And being one of the ones who goes up and, and leads those prayers sometimes, I can tell you that, that this is, it can be difficult. When I'm praying by myself, I don't worry about how it sounds. A lot of times it's just in my head, I'm thinking. I do pray sometimes alone and, and verbalize it, but a lot of times it's just in my head. And it doesn't matter to me how it sounds. I would admit to you guys as I stand on the platform on a Sunday morning, I want my sentences to be appropriate. I want the words that I use to make sense. I want, and, I, and I've learned from this. As I told you, I was preparing this lesson. 
it was a shot through the heart for me. I think I'm missing the point when I do that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's important for me to focus totally on God as if he's the only person hearing it. Now, you guys get to participate as hearers of that prayer. I, you know, any, anybody praying for the group is praying on behalf of the group, so you participate in that prayer. But the person praying should be so focused on my heart and God that nothing else matters. So we need to work to exclude the distractions. The second thing is realize. Okay. We must realize that when we pray, we're going into the presence of God. We should be thinking, who is God? What is God? And you'll notice when we pray, a lot of times our prayers start out, God, you are worthy of our worship. You are holy and righteous. And we, we, we repeat back God's character to him, not because he needs to know what his character is. He knows everything, right? But it's a reminder for us, who is this person? Who, is, who are we praying to? It's the holy God who created everything that there is, all-powerful, all-knowing, loving. We, we, we acknowledge who God is. We need to realize that. Lloyd-Jones said, We should say to ourselves, I am now entering into the audience chamber of God, the Almighty, the Absolute, the Eternal and Great God, with all his power, his might, and majesty. That God who is a consuming fire, that God who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all, that utter, absolute, holy God, that is what I'm now doing. To have that mindset as we go into a prayer time is appropriate as we realize what we're doing. The other thing we need to realize is in verse 6. He says, close your door and pray to who? Your father. Your father. Now he could have said, close your door and pray to God, but he chose to use the word father. Does that bear any significance? You think? I do. You know, our earthly fathers sometimes fall short, right? But generally, when you think about a father, there's, there's this loving relationship. There's this intimacy. Again, not all fathers were, were perfect in this life. But that's the, that's the point that, that Jesus is trying to make. A father. Father what? Loves the child. He cares deeply. He's concerned. He has great concern for the child. He anticipates the needs. Before we even go to God and, and ask or 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 pray to him at all. He knows. He anticipates. He wants the very best for us. He's not after out to get us. He's not out to keep us from things. He wants our very best. He desires to bless us. He knows us. Remember we when, when Ken was here, we used to sing a song quite frequently. He knows my name. And as we used to sing that song, we used to think, God knows me better than I know myself. He, he may know a name that I have that I don't even know I have. You know, God is so intimate. Scripture says that even the hairs on our head are numbered. He knows us. He has a plan for us. Uh, let's read these verses. Uh, Brian, Luke 11, 11 through 13. James, have you got your Bible? 1 John 3, 1. Uh, Romans 8, 15 and 16. Patrick, Ephesians 3.20. And as we read these scriptures, think about God as Father. Brian, you ready? Yep. 
Which of you fathers, if your son, this is Jesus speaking, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, there's a picture of God as Father. First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Okay. He is our Father, and we are his children. Romans 8, 15, and 16. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Okay. That verse, that word Abba, it's like saying Daddy, Papa. It's that intimate fellowship. And he uses the word adoption. I wish we had time to go into what... what uh, what was meant there by that term adoption, but it speaks to the tight, secure bond that is there that can never be broken. All right. Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's the God we're praying to, one who can accomplish more than we can even imagine. Listen to this from Luke 15. But while he, and, and think about God as Father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father said to the slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robes and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Oh, that we would have a father like that, right? And we do. Praise God. That's our father. Amen. Finally, as we pray, we do so in confidence. We pray in confidence, don't we? We should pray with the simple confidence of a child. Think about a child. You know, I could take a, a two or three or four or five-year-old child, walk up to the edge of Georgia 400, and with my hand in that child's hand, that child's hand in my hand, I could lead the child across the interstate, couldn't I? They trust me. They're not worried about what's going on. They, they completely trust me. I could place a plate of food in front of a child. What are they going to do? Ah, that might be poison. I, I might not better eat. Will they do that? Complete trust, right? That's how we should, we should approach God in prayer. Complete and utter dependence. So when we pray, we should exclude distractions. We should work really hard to make God our only focus. We should realize to whom we're praying, the God of all creation, who is our Father who loves us completely. And we should pray in all confidence because of who He is. We need to remove the thoughts that God is against us, that he's this, this policeman that's out to get us. We remember that he purchased us with his own blood. We belong to him. He's, my, he's our father, and he delights to bless us. He's concerned for our welfare. Well, and the Lord knows everything. The Lord knows us 
thoughts. I was wondering one day, why would he still want us to verbalize what he already knows, that what Benjamin or asking him something? Why do you think that? It's like a father that likes to hear the child say, could I please have a, um, um, a toy? Yeah, I don't think God needs to, to hear that. God is in himself um, satisfied with himself completely. He needs us to verbalize it because it changes us. When we verbalize it, it, it draws us closer to him. It, it's, it's to change us. Prayer is to align us with God's, with God's plan. So it's important for us to verbalize his character and ver verbalize our prayers because it teaches us more about God. It, it aligns us with him. Good. So all of these truths are why we pray in confidence. He knows everything we're going to ask for in advance. And he is more ready to give than we are to receive. So as we pray like this, and finally in confidence, let us believe Ephesians 3.20, which as Patrick read says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think according to the power that works within us. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now recognizing you to be the creator of all things. Father, everything that you created, you hold into place. Father, the stars that move about in all the vast universe, Father, you know exactly where they are. As the sands move on the seashore, Father, you know each one. And Father, you are intimate with us. We're so grateful for prayer. We thank you for the opportunity to, to approach you, to come into your presence. And Father, as we do so, we pray, we desperately ask that your, your spirit that lives within us would help us in this battle against sin, that we would not let sin enter into our prayer life, that we would come to you trusting you as, as a little child. Father, we pray that, that this lesson tonight would change us, that we would be different in how we approach you in prayer, and that we would uh, use it for, for what you've intended that it would draw us closer to you and make us more Christ-like. Father, I thank you for these guys as we, as we leave tonight. I pray that you would bless us. Father, help us to be your witnesses, to go and make disciples. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, who shed his blood and in whose authority we approach you, Jesus Christ. Amen.